0: Well, if you'd like to open up your Bible to that uh, hidden treasure right before the book of Isaiah, uh, uh, the Song of Solomon, it is, it is a buried treasure in a real sense. I mean, sometimes it's hard to find even in your Bible. It is right before Isaiah, but it is a book that we see uh, much of the glory of. Of our relationship with uh, that Christ has with His Church corporately, but also Christ has with His His uh, His Bride individually as well. And um, it it is a glorious book. It it is one of the most uh, intimate portions of 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 the Scriptures. It is about it is about Christ. I mean, I think that's that's clear even though in our day that there's kind of been a reaction against it being about christ in the church really because some of the older brothers really uh, heavily allegorized things heavily uh, symbolized things which i don't think you want to go all the way to the extreme to completely discount it as being about christ for the church for that there is a way to take it in a simple approach uh, to where you see the clear meaning that it really is about about him. I think it's clear uh, that it is about him. Just even the sense of what is the relationship and a husband and wife to be about. You know, some people say it's only about a relationship between uh, a bride and the husband. But what is that about? I mean, Ephesians 5. This mystery is profound, and I say that it refers to Christ, the Christ in the church. I mean, I could do a whole message, really, just on uh, maybe 30, 45 minutes of just different kind of proofs uh, to convince you that it is about Christ in the church. I know that widely it is accepted that that way here, but you know, even in the Old Testament, uh, even in the Old Testament, you can see this imagery God using a title of of husband and like his bride and things like that as a. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Even imagery in the Old Testament. uh, One brother pointed out even the reality that Christ is called the bridegroom. And the Gospel of John is really a key uh, to seeing this. But even Christ himself, even more clearly, Uh, in luke chapter 24 you know when he's giving us really the the hermeneutic or the right way to look at the old testament how to properly interpret it he tells us very simply doesn't doesn't he that it's all about me all the prophets and moses and the prophets he talks about the psalms there it all it all is pointing to me you know he he told the pharisees that you search the scriptures for you think that in them you have eternal life but it is they that bear witness about me. Uh, In that time, he was talking about the Old Testament. I mean, the Song of Solomon is included in that. And even in Luke chapter 24, uh, Christ is really making a holistic statement about the whole Old Testament when he says the prophets, uh, Moses and the prophets. He mentions the Psalms a a few verses later as well. Uh, It's really a holistic thing. It's not that, well, the Song of Solomon really is wisdom literature and it's not really included in that. Uh, I think we can see from that that it's clearly about Christ. And even more deeply, uh, we could see uh, who inspired this book, who gave us the book of the Song of Solomon. We know uh, from Second Peter chapter 1 that it was uh, men, as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit, they gave us uh, sacred scripture, right? It was God breathed, he, he gave it to us, the Holy Spirit. What is his role? I mean, what is the chief role? There's many things kind of all pointing to one thing. It says there in John chapter 16 about the Holy Spirit, Christ giving us this, says that he will glorify me, right? The Holy Spirit's purpose, he was sent to glorify Jesus Christ, to lift him up. So if the book of the Song of Solomon is not about uh, Christ in the church, we have to say that the Holy Spirit... Who was sent to give us a book about, or who was sent to glorify Jesus Christ, has given us a book that really, in its essence and its ultimate reality, is not about Christ and the church, and that's just not true. I mean, it is, it is, it is. He is the Spirit of Christ, and he gave us this book to glorify Christ. And I want to just look today with you at one passage here in, in chapter two. And the title, the title of my message is. Uh, Christ's pursuit of the believer that we talk a lot about us pursuing Christ but have you ever thought much about the reality that Christ that Christ is pursuing you and really I mean that when you realize that what an incentive it is to seek Christ you know when you realize that what an encouragement is to realize that we see this clearly in this passage before us today we see Christ here coming for coming for his bride. Let's just read it and see this imagery, kind of think about it with me. The voice in verse let's start chapter 2 verse 8. It says, "The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag." Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. So this is the bride describing Christ, that he's the one leaping over the mountains. He's the one like a gazelle or a young stag. And then it says in verse 10, my beloved speaks and says to me. So the bride is saying, Christ is saying this to me. And this is what we're going to look at uh, today uh, here after we look at 8 and 9 as well. But notice this in verse 10, that it is Christ that is the one who is speaking this, he says to the bride, so he says to his church corporately, and he says to his church, his bride individually, "Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away; for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle-dove is heard in our land. the fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So you see here, as my title is, that Christ's pursuit of the believer. I think you see that clearly in the text. Notice in verse 8, the bride is saying this about Christ, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes. So anytime you see the word behold is saying, hey, notice this. Pay attention to this. He comes. Very simply. What's he doing? He's in the pursuit of her. He's leaping over the mountains, he's bounding over the hills, he's speaking. And maybe as he comes, he's singing this, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. We're not for sure, but this is the pursuing Christ we're talking about here. And she notices that she pays attention to the fact that he is in the pursuit of me. And sometimes in our, in our life, we can maybe forget that. or maybe you've never even thought about that. The fact that Christ is really in the pursuit of us. We think a lot about it uh, in initial salvation, right? That he came for me. He came and. He came and found me there. But even that doesn't stop after you, you're in the kingdom, right? He's continually pursuing uh, his his beloved. He's continually pursuing you. And she notices that. He says, my beloved is a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking, looking through the lattice. So she noticed that he comes. He's leaping over the mountains. He's bounding over the hills. You may think like, well, is this talking about, you know, Christ has a really good vertical? Like he's actually able to jump over mountains. He's like, This is amazing. No, of course it's it's using figurative language to give us a reality, right? That these mountains, these obstacles that are in that would be in the way, that they're nothing to him. He has the strength like a like a, a gazelle or a young stag to actually overcome the greatest obstacles. You know, a gazelle a young stag, you know you think about a mountain goat they're able to climb up mountains with relative ease, just the strength that is there, and this is an imagery for us here of of Christ uh, that he overcomes great obstacles with ease in order to in, toward, in order to come to his beloved. You could see the gospel in this, of course, I mean people have said you know the mountains of sin that he come he he crosses that great chasm, you know, as it were in the gospel, to be able to come to his believer. But also what I'm looking at today is just the reality of his pursuit of the believer uh, that's already in the kingdom. That he's leaping over mountains, right? There's ease in his pursuit of you. There's nothing, there's nothing that is hindering his pursuit of you, right? It's constant. There's a reality. He's like a gazelle. He's like a young stag. But also realize that in his pursuit of you, if you're a believer, that there's also a joy in it. I mean, those of us that have been married or maybe been in a, a courtship before or whatever, those uh you know, there's times that somebody will see, you know, say a girl, just a guy just came into her life and they say, Hey, you look like you're you're floating, right? And like what are they what are they saying? They're like, You're like beaming with joy, right? There's a time I, I found out about uh alex that she definitely was interested in me uh for marriage and i think i found out in san antonio and then i had to drive back to laredo i was in laredo texas living there at that time and the way i described i was i was really tired and everything but you know what the way i described it was i kind of soared on on the clouds all the way back (laughs) to uh all the way back to laredo it wasn't a hard thing right because why the the thought of the thought of her you know the thought of my beloved and for christ we got to realize that in his pursuit of us it's not like he's some christ that doesn't have emotion or anything like that there's really a joy in it for him it's like he glides over those mountains he's bounding you know if you see somebody like skipping for joy or whatever you realize hey they're overcome with joy there this is how christ is with his beloved And there he is behind. Says, "Behold, there he stands behind our wall." So notice this: there he is. He's gazing through the windows. He's looking for the lattice. So you can imagine this in a real life situation. Like he came over those mountains. Now he's at her door, and he's looking for her. He came looking. Where's my bride at? I want to see. I want to see my bride. He's looking. He's gazing through through the windows, looking through the lattice. He's got his sight on the believer and he says to her arise my love my beautiful one and come away that's a, I mean that's amazing you know to realize that that Christ comes to us as believers and says arise my love my beautiful one and come away notice what he says i mean he says arise in other words come and and be with me what is he asking for he's asking for i want closeness with you i want i want you to come and be with me i want i want to know i want to know you you're my you're my love you see these terms of endearment that he has for his believer my love my beautiful one and come away come away with me and many times we would think about our own personal devotional life that we have with with Christ and certainly that is Uh, applied here that he says come away and be with me i want you i want you alone we'll see later in uh, verse 14 it talks about in the clefts of the rock in the crannies of the cliff i want to i want to see your face i want to hear your voice he's calling us away and said i want this personal time with you. I, I want you to sit at my feet. I want to spend time with my bride. I want you to, to gaze upon your husband and us to have interchange. You see that in the book of Song of Solomon. He says, you're all beautiful. And she says back to him, you're altogether beautiful. You know, there's this interchange. He wants that relationship there. but So it is that private time with the Lord. But you don't want to completely say that's all it is though because Christ is... I take it from this text, always is saying to the believer, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So that means that even in the midst of a crowded room, I mean, you can hear the voice of Christ saying, Arise and come away, and in your own heart, in the secret (laughs) places of your own heart, in the crannies of the cliff, you can lift up your voice to Christ, and there be intimate interchange going on there. And he says why, though. He says, in verse 11, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. And he, he begins to describe his love and using this imagery of, of nature. It's very beautiful here. That Verse 11, he says, For behold, the winter is past, and the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and the time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So it's like he's describing why he's in this pursuit of this, of this bride. And what it is is I take it that he is actually describing his love for them using this beautiful imagery here. For example, you know that when winter is past, you know, times of winter, like you look at the trees right now, that there's no leaves on them. Um, it' there 's very it 's very looks very barren out there right i mean it 's beautiful right now the lord 's making it snow and everything and uh, there 's a beauty to it, but the imagery there it is different than spring isn 't it that winter is different than spring that there 's a time when winter is past, and then all of a sudden things begin to come to life again, right The trees begin to have uh, buds on them again flowers begin to Come, the rain comes and it makes the ground very fertile and, and flowers begin to pop up that the Lord brings. And f- like it says in 12, flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in the land. All of a sudden in times of spring, right? There's like uh, new birds and things flying around they 've come out of their habitation that they were in in winter, sometimes new life and things that they 're making this beautiful melody this beautiful there 's a beautiful sight all in spring it 's like the earth just came alive again, and the fig tree ripens its fig there 's fruit on the vines, edible fruit, nourishing fruit, sweet sweet fruit, the vines are in blossom, maybe like grapes, things like that, maybe some kind of flower vine or something. They give forth their fragrance. You know, you ever walk through past a really beautiful bush that is very beautiful, it's come to life, it's budded, the flowers have opened, there's a scent there about it, and you and you smell it and it's like wow, that is a very beautiful smell. Christ is using all this imagery to describe the way that his love is For the believer and we know that in Christ nothing can separate us from his love that it'd be right for us to look at this passage in the sense that his love is always this way for the believer it's all it's always in blossom it's always budding it's always there's a singing about there's something worth singing about there's always a, a beautiful scent there's always fertile food in that sense. And his love, and he says, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come and come away with me. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. And you'll notice that I did say that when he says, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, I am... I am taking that in the sense of that this is the continual call to the believer. But I know that there is also an aspect with this text that there are, there, there are times that we sense the pursuit of Christ in a, in a subjective way. We sense the impressions of Christ, like Christ is coming for me and saying, come away with me and pray. You feel the, the wooings, the beckonings. You feel the allurement of Christ. And that is something that is in this text. As well. I just think that you don't want to say that's only what this text is saying because we can look at his love and realize it's always spring in that way. But also, there are times that Christ comes to the believer and we, we sense that and he says arise my love and come away and if we were to respond to him in that way and go away and be with him whether it's in a crowded room or it's somewhere in private we will find experientially speaking that yes the winter has passed and now the turtle dove appears in the land and there's this awakening there's times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord that, that is an aspect of of this text as well. And there's time and there's times you see the in this book that the bride misses it at times, that Christ pursues her and she, even though her heart is thrilled when he spoke, she's reluctant to get out of bed and come to the door for whatever reason. And yet she she looks for him and he and he's not there. Um now I, I think we have to be very careful when we're talking about these things because I think that You know, a lot of talk about God hiding his face and things like that. I think it cannot be helpful. And I think that uh, the devil could really use it and make you feel like all the time that, well, you missed it and there's no presence of Christ for you. And he would love for you to believe that all the time. Uh, But we know that there is sometimes that sense that God may, in his love, discipline the believer while withholding something of his presence, his sensible sense of his presence from them. But you say, well, how does that work with what you believe like that it's saying that it's always saying this to the believer, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Well, even in those times, what is the purpose of those times? Even when God may have in his in his love for the believer, withhold the sensible sense of his presence to teach them, is he not saying at those times? Look, you've been going after other things. Look, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. Your voice is sweet, your face is lovely. Even in those times, even in discipline, I think that's why I say it's always the call of the believer to the believer of Christ. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. It's always the call even when you don't feel it. Even when you feel like I this seems so this truth seems so high. It's almost like this seems hard to believe that Christ is really this way, with me, but that doesn't that doesn't do away with the truth, does it? I mean this this is this is a reality that Christ really does feel this way about his bride, and it, it, we would do well to reckon it to be true, whether you feel any kind of impression or not. The devil can give you all kinds of crazy impression, take away any kind of oppression. But you come down to this text, and as God is a living God, speaking through this text, I mean, Christ is saying that to us this morning. And he's saying that to to us, I think, on a continual basis. He's in the pursuit of the believer, even in discipline, even in times. And I think you can understand that, that even in times that you may not respond the way that you should, as we see in this book, what did he do? What did Christ do? Did he... Did he fold his arms up and say, "Hey, well, you better really get straight for a while before you're going to come i'm not i'm not gonna I'm not going to give you anything of myself. No, what did he do? Such is his love for this bride, even though she didn't respond to the to the call at the door, he leaves his cologne, if you will, on the door the sweet smelling fragrance of himself is that in itself not also an inviting of Christ saying, Look, I was here, but look, I'm still in the pursuit of you. Come, right? Come, come to me, right? And <clears throat> even in those things. And even when you find in the Song of Solomon, when he did she did seek him and it was like, I, I found him not, it says, Where was he at? I mean the ESV calls it he was in the garden of love, a little subtitle. Sometimes those are helpful over the text. He, it says, he's actually picking lilies in the garden, right? What's he doing? One brother pointed out, it's like he's he's picking flowers to bring to her, and he's continually wooing her. For when she comes again, here's these flowers that I picked for you, right? No judgment, no condemnation, anything like that. So it's right for us to realize that Christ is in the continual pursuit of of his bride, and many. In, in these ways. And he says in 14, look at what he says in 14. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Now, realize, you would think that we would say that to him, right? I mean, we it is right to say that to him. Lord, I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. Your, your voice is sweet. Your face is, is lovely. I mean, it says over in chapter 5, you know, describing him, his lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh, just the sweet, fragrant speech of Christ that he says to the believer. But this text is actually uh, Christ saying this to the believer. You notice in verse 10, it, it proves it. My beloved says, speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, and goes on and all that. This is Christ speaking. He says that to us. I want to see your face. I want to hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Those times you feel like your prayers really don't mean much. You feel like there maybe you were too dull or whatever, and the devil's right there, you know, condemning you. That's not how the Lord feels about it. I mean, He feels like that was a that was a beautiful thing. I love, I love when uh, I love when she when she speaks or he speaks like that voice is sweet face is lovely i love and what a motivation can you see that if you would believe this text what that would do to our own our own walk with the lord i mean really i mean the devil does not want you to believe this text i mean he attacks it on me in times but like can you imagine like if in your prayer closet you were to take this verse Oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock and the clannies of the crypt, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. You just plaster that really big right there in your in your prayer closet. And every time you come to pray, you look at it and realize that that is the reality. I mean, that's what we need uh, to remember. I mean, even Brother Paul Washer, I said, I was listening to something he said, and he talked about the thing that motivates him in prayer, one of the things is that he knows that when he prays, as it says in Song of Solomon, that when she, when Christ hears his voice, his Christ's heart beats faster. That motivates that brother, you know, to pray. It's right for us to take it in that way, and it's so high. I realize we can feel like, you know, me and my brother were talking about this one time, um, and it's like it's so high. It seems like it seems hard to believe that this is real. I mean, I know me, I know my own different weaknesses and struggles. Like this thing seems like way out there for me, but it can, we can really bring it down to home. If we realize though, that this kind of love that Christ has for the believer, though it blows our mind, it shouldn't surprise us that he would be this way, right? Because he is that, he is that kind of person. I mean, and what was done on the cross really was so sufficient, and what is done in re- regeneration was is so real that he really does look at the believer and say, "You're altogether beautiful there is no there is no flaw in you. not only we're declared righteous before Christ, beautiful in that way, but our own hearts, new hearts that he's given us, the core of our being." There's a there's a beauty there. There's a there's a new heart. Right. That we're he's really does see us as that way. And it shouldn't surprise us because he's always exceeding our expectations. Right. Not only save from hell, but then I'm going to take you to glory and you're going to reign with me on my throne forever. And I'm going to you're going to I'm going to give you a stone that no one knows its name. But you, all the, he's always blowing our minds, right, on these things. And this text is just another one of those. And it's real. And he says in verse 15, he says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. So these vineyards are in blossom. His love is ripe for the believer. His love is budding. There's a, a fragrant scent about it on on definitely on a constant basis but he tell he does tell the believer he says look those foxes in your life that spoil not the reality of this love because it is constant but spoil your own experience of this love get those things out of your life i mean look up foxes on the internet and all of a sudden you'll find uh people blogging and all this stuff about You know, something like this. Hey, I got this new house and out in the country I planted a garden. It looks so beautiful, but something happened. Foxes invaded. Like, what do I do about all these foxes? You got people saying, hey, the fox is a person too and all this. You know, like, (laughs) but like, (laughs) but the thing is, is a little fox can really tear up your garden. Dig up the flowers, eat them, whatever it does. Really spoil, spoil the vineyard. And Christ is saying, those things that are in your life that would keep you from the enjoyment of this reality, the enjoyment of this, this love of Christ, this fellowship with me. Get those things out of there, right? Get Even if it may be little things, yeah, things that maybe we would even say are good things, but they're not the excellent things, and you spend time on those, and you don't feel your heart filled with the Lord. You know, it more feels empty. Those are foxes, right? Get those things out of there. Maybe there's something to be said, too, about even, even sins, big sins that are in our life at times. To Christ, they're just something little, really, because His power is able to overcome those things. But also, I want you to notice this. Notice that the Christian life, though, is not all about catching foxes, right? If you spend all your time on the foxes in your life, the, thing, the sins that you may be struggling with, the things you're all the time looking at those foxes, you've really, you've really missed it. Now there is, I mean, you need to put sin to death. You need to lay aside every weight that may hinder you in this race. There's the utmost seriousness. We need to focus. There's a time to look at that fox, grab it by the tail, sling it out of the garden, deal with it, kill it, whatever it may be. Do, do away with it, throw it out. But you don't want to focus all your attention on that in a way to where you miss the reality that this Christ is in the pursuit of you. You see what I mean? Like Because you can spend all that, Sometimes when there's a good passion for holiness, a good passion to be right, to have a clear conscience in those things, that we can so spend all of our time looking at the foxes and not realize the whole time this glorious Christ is actually in the pursuit of us saying... Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. You see how you could completely miss that? The Christian life is not all about killing sin. It's about, it's about Christ. It's about Him. We kill sin. We throw the foxes out of the vineyard because of this cry. We want to know Him. He's in the pursuit of me. And what a motivation that we have as well in this text. The vineyards are in blossom, right? It's like, why would you want to let foxes in this vineyard? Why would you want to give yourself to that thing when there's such this, this beautiful vineyard of Christ's love, that fellowship with Him that is, that is possible? Don't, don't compromise for a little fox. And what a motivation it is. It's like, hey, that, that thing's like a little fox, but look at this love right here. Look at this love. I'm in the pursuit of you. So have you thought about it? You know, Christ's pursuit of you as a believer. I mean I want to think about it more, and it's something that is very helpful. What an incentive to seek God, what an encouragement. You don't have to be you don't we're not talking about you can only enjoy this text when you you're basically sinless, when there's no failures in your life or anything like that. If you if you will take this text and believe it. I mean, what what you'll see is you 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 will hear Christ saying, "Arise, my love and be- my beautiful one, and come away." Even after a fall, even after a time that you blew it or whatever, it's still saying, "Arise!" Isn't is that not true? That he's saying, "Come away from, that's not best for you. Come away and be with me. I'm in the pursuit. I'm in the pursuit of you." So the Christian really has never known a normal day, have we? When this Christ is in the pursuit of us on this continual basis, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you help us to believe this text. Lord, I th- I thank you for it. Thank you for your your pursuit of us. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.